Well, it's good to see you this afternoon. I want to talk with you about something that I think is so important to us. And perhaps we've never thought these thoughts before in the way that we'll see them unpacked. But actually, I want to talk to you about what I have come to call the missing link. Sometimes we have this desire to serve God. Amen. We have a sense that he has something significant for us to do. And we know that right at the other end of that spectrum, which is heavenward, that God has plans to prosper and to bless us. But somewhere between God's plan to prosper and to bless us and our experience, sometimes we get a little lost. We kind of miss some things that I think cause us never to fully live out what we know the dream of God is for our lives. So come with me please to Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is one of my favorites. Proverbs 29, and we're gonna read together a verse from this particular passage. It's verse 18. You'll know it instantly when you hear it. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Has anybody heard that before? Give me a wave if you've heard that before. I think the NIV version says, where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. In other words, if people don't have a clarity and some sense of purpose to the way they live their lives, then by default, they will be accidental tourists spiritually. Now, none of us want to be accidental tourists spiritually, do we? We want to live with some clarity and some certainty about the purpose of God. So let's just look at this for a minute. What is this proverb about? Well, I just want to say to you, it's not about you becoming a millionaire. Sorry. Now, we're delighted if you are one. I know some of us in the room are down to our last six million. It's really tough. These times are lean. But actually, that isn't what this proverb is about. It's not about me having a great sense of a, a glorious career, even here on earth. Do you know, because you can have all of those things and actually lose sight of the truth of who Jesus is. Amen? And the Bible clearly tells us, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose himself somehow in the process? I often think in the busyness of London that maybe some of us have lost ourselves in the process of survival. Amen? So what is it about? Well, I believe any vision that's worth its sort or worth its weight is something that comes out of the heart of God. It comes out of the Word of God, the living Word of God to us. It's a dream that God carries for our lives. Do you know that God has dreams for your life? Is there anybody here who's excited about that? Do you know when I first became a Christian, I was shocked that God had a dream for my life because I had a dream for my life. And guess what? They were quite different. You see, I wanted to be really famous And now I'm just infamous, which is similar, but not quite the same. You see, I had a dream to be a great artist and a great singer and a great entertainer. And actually the Lord came into my heart and into my life and our plans kind of got into strife. They got into tension. God had something else that he wanted me to do. And I want to be honest with you, it didn't look that attractive. You know, I was trading something for something that looked a little bit less in my eyes. But as time went past, I began to see that what the Lord was offering me far superior, far superior in any way to anything that I thought would be 
what I would give my life to. Let me tell you a little story. I've never told this from the platform before. But when I was a little boy, you know these wonderful films you watch, these adventures? Do you remember Rambo and... Do you remember all that season in the 80s where Americans rescued us from the world? Do you remember that season? Well, I was never a great lover of those kinds of films, but you know, if there was one about an air crash or something where people were stranded somewhere, in my mind, I used to dream that I would be the savior. You know, that I've never been particularly courageous, so it was unlikely what happened in the natural, but, but I feel what the Lord was doing in those times was just saying to me, Simon, I'm going to send you on a rescue mission. I'm going to engage you with a group of people that I'm going to save and you're going to help be saved. And all these years later, here we are. Sometimes when we think of a vision, we're thinking of our own plan for our lives, our, our own strategy to be successful. And I'm not against any of those things. I think it's rather important for the church to be good at all kinds of things and be significant in all kinds of ways. But actually, is it attached to the plan that God has for your life? Now, listen to his plan. His plan is to prosper you and to bless you. Now that's a good place to start, isn't it? You know, I didn't always believe that. When the Lord told me to give up my career, and he told me to give up my lifestyle, he told me to give a house away that I'd bought and a car away that I was driving, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good because I had to give something to gain something better. And, and in that season and at that time of my life, I really didn't understand fully what was happening, but I knew it was God that was asking me to yield myself to him completely. If we want to experience the plan of God, it isn't just a collection of truths from the Bible. We all know there are things in the Bible that we should be living. How many of us know that we should be more generous as people to other people? Amen? Amen. How many of us recognize that the scriptures invite us to be merciful, yeah? to care about people, how many of us know that we should all share the good news of Jesus? You see, when we think of God's plan and vision for our lives, those are contained in that, but actually God has a specific thing that only you can accomplish. He has a particular relationship with you that he will use in mighty and powerful ways to affect a variety of different people. And there are people that God will use you to touch that would never be interested in anything I have to say. And I like to think, on a good day, that there are people that my life could touch that probably wouldn't be interested in some of the things you might have to say. God is beautiful, but his plan for our lives is more than a generalistic plan of well-being and blessing and health and prosperity. God has plans to prosper you. Now, here's what I found. As I stepped towards the calling on my life, I found that I began to prosper. Oh, I, I lost everything. This doesn't sound like a good news story. Okay, but I lost everything. Everything I thought made me significant was taken from me. But the one thing that was eternal that was offered to me was the sense of God's presence and his abiding goodness in me. Do you know, I look back across my life and I think, thank God I got it. Thank God I gave it up. Because what the Lord has given to me is pressed down, shaken up and overflowing. Not just in spiritual terms, but in actual terms too. I have, you know, property that I never could have purchased. The Lord has blessed us. Amen. We have this joy of serving in this congregation. The Lord has blessed us. Amen. And it's very difficult to think back to those days whenever I was frightened of the sound of my own voice because now I can't shut up. And, and you know that's the truth, don't you? But the Lord has blessed us more than we could ever imagine. Back then I didn't think I'd ever get married. 
I was living a homosexual life and the Lord blessed me with a beautiful wife. I have a daughter. I look back and I think I'm one of the wealthiest men on this planet. The Lord has been good. But you know when God began to reveal his plan and began to interrupt my plan, I didn't feel good. It didn't feel easy. It didn't feel, you know, um, it didn't feel right sometimes. But I can see that every step of the way, he has been faithful to fulfill his promise and his plan in our life. If you have a vision that's not attached to his dream for your life, then you have a presumption. And if you are walking with Jesus, I want to encourage you to lay it down. Because what the Father has for you will far surpass anything you could ever make happen yourself. You see, God's dreams are big. God's dreams, are, they're off the scale. You, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered at the heart of man, but God has prepared for those who love him. And his dream for you is always attached to his character. It's always attached to his nature. So, you know, it's not that we have to try and make something happen. Out of our relationship with him, he starts to form a new life for us. And we start to enter into blessing and enter into favor and enter into the goodness of God. How many of you would like a little bit more of that in their life? So any good vision, any real vision, any truthful vision is not about self-improvement. It's not about making yourself the center of your world. All vision that comes from heaven is about Jesus being glorified. And you know, if my dream does not partner with that invitation, then maybe it's an inferior dream and I need to upgrade my thinking on some things. God will use your life and he will pour his dreams into you so that he will bring glory and honor to his precious name. Someone say amen to that. Amen. But it's not automatic. Sorry. You know, I've been around church a long time and people kind of say things like this, you know, well, it, God is sovereign, it'll all pan out in the end. That's Peter Pan theology. It doesn't all pan out in the end. You need to really hear me say that to you this morning. If you're waiting around for something to happen to you, you might be the something that needs to happen. And, and here's how God works in our lives. To bring forth his dream for our hearts. He partners with us. He comes in his great power and he works in our great weakness. And he begins to fashion something that is so breathtaking. And so beautiful that actually you don't even recognize your life anymore. But it's not going to just happen. The same is true of prophecies. You know, I've been around prophetic people for many, many years. And many people who have a prophecy have put it at the back of their Bible. Get it out. If you've left it at the back of your Bible, it should be at the front of your Bible. And if, if you are waiting for something to happen, then be the something you've been waiting on. Okay, and start to pray and to seek and to search God for those things that he's promised you to come to pass. We have got to get out of this notion that somehow it will all pan out in the end. There are so many dreams that have not been fulfilled because the church has not understood that God has subjected the advances of his purposes to partnerships with his people. You see, if I wanted to be good at something or accomplished in some way in a natural term, I would go and get training for it. You know, I, I can't become a brain surgeon because I think I'd make a great one. In fact, if I went anywhere near you, you should scream. Because I would need preparation, training, guidance, understanding. There's so much I need to glean to be even aware of the problems or the difficulties that you're facing. There is no quick fix in the kingdom of heaven. I know many of us want to be catalysted into significance, 
But here's where significance starts. Today, partnering with God in the dream of his heart for our lives, giving over all that we are to his purpose and his plan and allowing his dream to become our dreams too. God will cause your life to become so rich if you choose to make those decisions. So why do we need a vision? Why do we need a dream? Because actually, if we don't have some idea of God's plan for our lives, then we just, we get banged about by all kinds of things. Our circumstances hit us hard. But you know, you need, and I need to stay focused on what it is that the Lord has invited us to. And and church, I want to say to you that the devil will throw some things your way. Let me tell you this story. From the very first time I became a Christian, I went to what they call a spirit-filled church. Now, it didn't say it over the door, but the truth was when you walked in the room, people were crazy in the good way. They were so in love with Jesus. I mean, I'd never seen people dance in church before. I've seen people cry in church before, but that's a whole other subject. Okay, but I'd never seen the joy of the Lord. And you know, it wasn't just the young that were leaping for joy. There were some elderly people. I mean, they could dance. And I mean dance, dance. These women would go for hours in the presence of the Lord. And, and God would move in power. You know, we would pray for people and they'd get physically healed. We'd pray for people to get see, set free from things that were captivating their hearts and their lives. And, and you know, they'd make a little noise, but they'd get free. Do you know what I'm saying? People would come and they'd be very broken and caught up in drug addiction and someone would pray with them and they'd get set free. There's a theme here, it's called getting set free. The worship just went to a place and my heart would just get so big on the inside to love God and pour out. Now I've been in church as a a young man growing up in a particular denomination. It was never like that. It was never like that. But this spirit-filled These glorious saints of Jesus, these wonderful servants of the Lord, when they gathered and opened their mouths to sing and they came from different nations too, there was this glorious sense of the Spirit at work. I could not get enough of that. But you know, one of the things that I I started to contend for right back then was I was reading through the Scriptures, brand new Christian, reading the book of Acts. I was fascinated by the book of Acts. And I went to the pastor and I said, when do we do the miracles? When do we do the miracles, Pastor? And he said, to, he just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and, and he said to me, you know, well, you know, whenever. And you know, I was incensed by that. But in the same church I was in, I actually noticed there was a man who did miracles. See, I thought people did miracles back then. It's God who works through people that's miraculous. And you know, this, this, this young Indian man was an, a street evangelist. His name was Amrik. And um, I said to him, can I go with you when you're praying for people to be healed? And he said, yes, but don't speak. I said, why can't I speak? He said, I think you'll ruin it. Just don't speak. So I used to go out with him and people would be talking to me and I wasn't allowed to speak. I think everybody thought I was, you know, mute or something. I had some kind of problem. I couldn't speak. And uh, he would pray for people and he'd say like this. And I would lay hands on people and we'd pray for people. And, you know, we saw God do amazing things. On the streets of Birmingham. God, on the streets of Birmingham. I mean Birmingham. Right in the center of the city there. God was doing great things. 
And I realized fairly instantly and quickly that actually this new life, this dream of God for my life, was that I would be able to function and flourish in the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, I hadn't gone to Bible college. I hadn't had a great conversation with anyone who was a leader. But I kind of started to dawn on me that God had a dream to use my life in this kind of way. And so ever since that, I have always gone through seasons and times where the Holy Spirit has sought to recalibrate my soul to the dream that God has. You see, if you don't know who you are, you won't know where you're going. And it's important that we have clarity, to some extent, on both those truths. So I'm not called in, you know, to be uh, certain things, but I am called to be, I call it a heavenly provocateur. Okay, I come in and I upset somebody's apple cart. I mean, I didn't even know there were apples, but some people get very touchy when you start praying for the sick and believing that God will heal them. You'd be surprised how many Christians get offended by that. They must not look at the book of Acts at all, those Christians. But God is healing people today. So let me tell you this story. This is about God's dream for my life, and I'm sure you will identify with it. We went through a season in Glasgow where we saw God bring families back together. People get free from drug abuse and all kinds of wonderful things God was doing. But I started to question something. I don't know if you ever do that with the Lord, but my question was, God, when will you move in power and heal bodies physically? And so I did as all good pastors do. I invited guest speakers. And so I invited everybody I knew who had that kind of ministry. And there was only a handful of people at that time. And I said, come along to the church and come and pray for the sick. Come and pray for the sick. And, and uh, we, were, we were really just wanting God to move. And every single one of these people who came to pray, they would always say to me at some point before the meeting, do you know, I just don't feel the permission of God to pray for the sick. Do you know, I, I would be so furious. And on the inside, I'd say, well, the ministry gift will reflect that. At the same time, in the background, as we were moving towards praying for the sick, trying to engage with the supernatural power of Jesus, my father got cancer, my mother got cancer, my brother got cancer. This all happened in an 18-month period. My mother died very quickly of her cancer. My cousins, two of them, got breast cancer. This was all within an 18-month period. And their younger brother, who was 28 at the time, died of, of, of um, a severe cancer, a blood cancer that he got. So as we were stepping towards the dream of God, stay with me, the devil was coming against the dream of God. You know, I want to encourage you this morning, when you start to move in the direction God has predestined and desired for your life, you will always have adversity. And the difficulty with that is we shrink back. Sometimes the pain is too great. You know, that many times I, I would be praying for people to be healed and I would, you know, be thinking at the same time, gosh, my whole family seemed to be riddled with cancer. In fact, it got so bad that I went to visit this young man, Robert, my cousin, and uh, 28 years of age, three children, just desperate. And my brother, who doesn't believe in Jesus, said to me, why didn't you pray for him to be healed as you were leaving? That's how broken my soul got. I, I became paralyzed. Until I woke up one day and I realized that what God had set in my heart to do, the enemy was coming against. You see, your circumstances, they display to you your kingdom advances. 
When you look at your circumstances, you'll see some patterns. Is there anybody who gets discouraged sometimes? Come on, give me a wave if that's you. Take a look at your discouragements because your discouragements in the kingdom should be encouragements. When you notice where the devil is trying to destroy something, that's where God is wanting to bless something. You see, if you understood that the nature of God is always to use adversity to bring a resistance so that his glory can be more powerful when it comes. Do you know the devil works for God? Do you know that? All things work together. Come on. Do you know that, that he is <laughs> incapable of being everywhere at the same time, but your God is with you, he's for you, he's around you, he's about you. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemy. Your cup shall overflow. The devil's no match for God. He's not even on the same level in any which way. And God uses him sometimes. You know, he thinks he's doing his thing, but God uses him to produce something in you that comes through you and brings life to other people around you. Take a look at your disappointments, your distractions, your hardships. If you're not careful, they will steal from you the destiny and the plan of God. But actually, they are meant to keep on realigning you to that plan and to cause you to press through. I love the church. We sing so many songs that we don't live. You know, we are more than conquerors. Do you know, we love that. We want to be more than a conqueror, but actually we don't want to conquer anything. <laughs> How would you ever know you're more than a conqueror until you conquered something? <laughs> we shall overcome until we're overwhelmed. Yeah? If you want to know you're an overcomer, you might have a few tests. God wants to reveal to you His glory is placed inside of you. You need a little thing to overcome. Because then you realize how much of an overcomer Christ is in you. And you realize how much of an overcomer you are in Christ. Do you know the church is at its greatest whenever the world hates it? Hallelujah. And we're moving towards that. Glory to God. Without buildings and resources and understanding and all of those things, the first century church grew so profoundly in the midst of persecution. I mean, we, we're all hypersensitive if somebody doesn't like us. Rise up, people of God. If you have any sense of God's dream for your life, then the enemy will try and do everything to stop that from coming to pass. And the battlefield is not in our intentionality sometimes. It's in our imagination. Do you know, our mind is so full of things sometimes that hinder us from moving into the things of God. Why is our imagination important? Because our imagination is the dynamo, the powerhouse of life. Everything flows out of that place. And in fact, it's your imagination where God speaks. Your imagination is like a heavenly womb, a physical womb for the Spirit of God to come and plant the seed of life. And your imagination is often the biggest and most difficult thing for you to come into partnership with to bring the purposes of God to pass. There's a Hebrew word that describes how God intersects the thoughts of man. It's the word called paga, P-A-G-A, and this is what it says. 
This is what it means. That God, Paga, he pagas with us. In other words, we have our train of thought. We have a mindset or a perspective. But God comes and he, in his glorious way, interrupts that. Now, if you've got saved, that's exactly what's happened to you. God has planted something in the womb of your mind. He's planted something in your imagination. And your imagination is an area where the devil wants to bring destruction. You see, God has plans, you have a sense of purpose, but between those two things, the missing link is what we do with our mind, what we do with our imagination. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about what the enemy's done with our imagination. The enemy's made the church believe that anything to do with the imagination is wrong. It's a subtle thing, but it's a powerful thing. And we even quote scriptures incorrectly. Take every thought captive, every vain imagination that sets itself up against the purposes of God. Do you know God created you with an imagination? Your imagination is very much a part of how God plants in you his dreams and his purposes. So we've got to get rid of that lie. We want God to redeem our thinking in regard to our imagination. Amen? Amen. Say out loud, my imagination is God-given. Now that doesn't mean that everything in it is from God. Okay, that's a whole other subject because we could be here all day talking about the thoughts that have led you astray. But your imagination is a gift from God. And it's there that he paggers. He plants a seed. This is where the dream of God begins to find an environment where we start to partner with him until those things start to become powerful and indeed visible. God gave us an imagination for his purposes. Turn to Psalm 103 with me, please. In Psalm 103, verse 14, this is what the scriptures tell us about our imagination. For he knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. Now, church, the word that's used here to translate into Hebrew for the word frame is the word imagination. God knows our imagination. He knows our imaginations. And five times in the Old Testament, that word is used to describe the very thing that I'm trying to communicate to you today. In Genesis 6, verse 5, we see it mentioned there, the frame. In Deuteronomy 31, verse 21, we see the frame mentioned there. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, we see the word frame used there, which means our imaginations, our internal realities. And in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 18, we see it there also. Why is it so important? It's so important because our imagination is the frame or the spine of our existence. And it's the doorway to our potential. And it affects the way we live our lives. Go with me quickly, if you can, to Proverbs 23. I'm sure that you will have heard this before. It's often quoted um, as we seek to understand God's purposes. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, So as a man, if you've got the authorized version, thinketh, so as a man or a woman thinks, he is. What does that mean? It means that what turns up in my life is as a result of what goes on in my imagination. So I believe God wants to bless us. Amen? Amen. The link between that blessing materializing is my mind. It's my imagination. 
It's not automatic that I will be blessed. I have to partner with, maybe unlearn some things and relearn some other things to facilitate what it is that God wants to do. We underestimate the influence that our imagination has on our lives. Let me explain to you. Have you ever imagined, after you've had an argument with somebody, what you would have said if you'd thought a little bit more clearly? Have you not used your imagination for that? Come on, tell the truth. I, would, I should have said, I mean, you can spend days thinking over that, can't you? That's your imagination. Did it ever produce life? Or what about this one? You believed something terrible was going to happen, and so you spent three weeks worrying about it. You know, you've got an appointment, and you think, oh, this, and you think that, and you've been up all night, and you've bound, and you've loosed, and you've... And then the day comes, and it kind of passes. And you think, what was that all about? What was that all The hours I spent in intercession and prayer, and she didn't even bring it up in conversation. What was that all about? That was your imagination running riot. <laughs> does it not do that to you? Because it definitely does it to me. Do you know, I have spent so much of my life imagining things that never materialized into anything. I wonder what it would look like if my imagination was redeemed by God. If I had glorious thoughts that came from the throne room of heaven. If my mind was filled with the reality of who Christ truly is. If I was preoccupied with those thoughts. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are praiseworthy, whatever things are excellent, these things... Ponder them. Consider them. Do you know you can worship God with your mind? Not just with your mouth. You can worship God in your, in your mind. When, when, when will you ever last in a moment where you just spend a whole day thinking about the precious blood of Jesus? I tell you what, if you spent a day thinking about the precious blood of Jesus, I can guarantee you if that was a Tuesday, on a Wednesday you'll be living in power. And part of the reason why this happens is that we have a westernized understanding of engagement with the Word of God. You know, King David said these words, I have hidden your word in my heart. In other words, who you are is real in me. Who you are has become my new reality. Scriptures don't invite us to read them. It says meditate on them day and night. We fill our minds with the truth of who God is. I tell you what, do it on a Monday, you'll find a difference on a Tuesday. Can you imagine what it would look like if we gave our minds and our imaginations over to God? Your imagination is powerful. And unless it's redeemed and unless you understand its significant part in the purposes of God, you will never move from just having a wishful thinking to a physical reality. If you want to see God move in your life, you need to let God move in your imagination. And do you know what, church? The devil has stolen some of this from us. Do you know what? Do you know who has exploited your imagination? Disney. Let it go. Let it go. It doesn't matter anyhow. You are swept along by this glorious story and these spectacular colors and these otherworldly experiences. Hollywood has stolen your imagination. 
God wants to redeem the imagination of the church. Church, today I want to tell you, there are thoughts you have yet to have that will transform society. They will completely overturn some of the corrupt systems in our culture. There are dreams that God wants to give and your mind is so small and tight and restricted and frightened, God can't get them through the doorway. Fill your mind with glorious thoughts of Jesus Christ. Let your mind be the epicenter of life and hope and joy and peace as God begins to forth, bring forth in our lives His plan and His purpose. So what is our imagination? It's the process of power of forming a mental image of something that's not real or present. You cannot have vision without God first coming in in some way, shape or form to your imagination. Now, just so you know, I want to test with you your equipment. Is that okay? Is that okay? I want you to close your eyes for a moment and just picture your fridge. I don't know where it is. I don't know whether it's under counter or over counter. One of those big American things. I can guarantee you, you can see it. It's not here though, is it? Oh, so the equipment is working. Yeah? Now open the door in your mind's eye. Suddenly you'll find yourself engaging with a familiar smell. It's last night's leftover dinner. Now if it was curry, hallelujah, I love cold curry, hallelujah. Half-eaten pizza. Now what I'm trying to demonstrate to you is the stuff works. This stuff works, your equipment works, amen? Open your eyes. When I first moved to London, I parked my car in a multi-story car park. I had no idea where I left it. I went to an appointment, came out, I couldn't even remember where the car park was. And I couldn't remember the car because it was a higher car because mine had broken down. I didn't remember what floor it was on. And then I began to pray. You know how you do? God, I don't know what to do. I don't even know how to use the tube. How do you use the tube? I mean, you people are experts. I, I feel my life is in my hands when I go on the tube. And I stood outside of this building and I'm trying to look around in the physical to see if there was anything I vaguely remembered. And of course, I was so late for this appointment because the traffic is crazy in London, as you know. I just ran in and I abandoned the car somewhere. <laughs> and um, I said, God, I need your help. And straight away, the Holy Spirit quickened my memory. And, and he showed me the car, which is a good start. Because, I mean, it's not, there's not one or two cars in car parks here, is there? So I could see the car, and then I could see the floor. I remembered the floor. My imagination got me home. I wonder where our imaginations would take us if we allowed the Holy Spirit to fill them and to speak pagger into them and to draw us into the purposes and the plans of God. I wonder if there are cures for certain diseases that are not able to get through to us because our minds are filled with some things that are not leaving space or scope for God to speak. Now, you use your imagination like I do imagination every day, and your imagination is God given to you for his purposes. It's, it's the womb of your journey. It's where God begins to minister and plant and open up things. And as you partner with him, you start to see those things come to pass. Go to Luke chapter six for me. I won't keep you too much longer. 
Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Church, let me just say this, and I say this gently. If your imagination is filled with rubbish, gets what's going to turn up in your life. But if you renew your mind with God's word and glorious, profound, insightful, revelatory understanding of who God's word and who God truly is, what's going to turn up in your life? God. Now Romans 12 verse 2 says this, it's trying to help us understand the power of the imagination. Paul, writing to the church at Rome, says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Have you noticed that this world has certain patterns? Let me tell you one I've noticed. Dog eat dog. That's a pattern, isn't it? Unless people are first, they don't want to be last. Do you know where I find it the most amazing? Is in the church. I mean, we have all these scriptures telling us the last shall be first, but somehow you didn't get the memo. Because when the buffet opens, it's like locusts. Yeah? Now, if you truly believe that the last shall be first, what's happening is your mind is fighting between two realities. Yes? And so you think if you don't get in quick, you won't get anything. What does that say? It says, I am living with a mindset or an imagination that's outside of the parameters of how God sees things. I need to take that thought captive. In my case, if I don't get to the buffet, it's not going to be the end of the world. I live to eat McDonald's. But we don't even notice that because our minds have been trained to think in particular patterns and ways. Yes? Here's another one. Not only should the last be first in the kingdom and therefore being first is actually by default makes you last. It's greater to give than it is to receive. You'd never know, would you? You would never know that that was a, a truth, would you? Because how many of us here like to receive? Come on, tell the truth. God sees your heart anyway. Come on. It's your heart. You're wasting your time. Just out of the overflow of it, just speak it out. It's true. We know it's there. We know it's there. Now, I, I like the idea of that, but the reality of that, because I like to get nice things. I like nice things. Is there anybody else that likes to receive? Yeah. But actually, it's better for me, and it's greater in the eyes of God, and it's greater in the purpose of God for me to give. So I have two worlds fighting for my agreement. <laughs> I have two mindsets that are not in harmony with each other. They seem opposed. Okay? And that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying there are patterns in the world in which you're living, and if you're not careful, you'll be driven by them, but they are not from God and they don't extend his kingdom. But then he uses this phrase, but be transformed, Romans 12 verse 2, be transformed. The word that's used here is metamorphosi, which means to be completely unrecognizable, okay, by the renewing of your mind. 
What is that? That's my imagination being used for that which God intended it. That's God awakening my imagination to partner with the truth of who he is so that I can fulfill the dream that he's placed in my heart and my life, which came from him initially. So let me explain something to you about that. And we'll kind of land the plane. Late 70s, early 80s, the AIDS epidemic was rife in various parts of the world. And particularly around the, what was called then the gay community, now the LGBTQI community, many, many people who were in that group of people, that, that class of, of individual, whatever the words are, they, they were getting the HIV virus and it was quickly turning into AIDS and many of them were dying. At that point, I was living in Birmingham and I was working with a, a, a group of people called ASSET and they were working with people in the inner city areas of Birmingham, different parts of the world, trying to walk with people who had been uh, infected by the AIDS virus and some, I could tell you some terrible stories of lives that were trashed by that. But the scientists at the time wanted to find a cure. And, and because it was prevalent in, in the gay community at that time, um, they started to do some uh, work on people who were donating their bodies for scientific research um, in San Francisco. And they discovered something. They discovered that these, this group of men, particularly at that time, um, they had overdeveloped neural pathways in their brains. And, and the neural pathways that were overdeveloped were highly sensory neural pathways. They were the pathways of sensuality and sexuality and, 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 and the, the, the drivers that, that lead people to do all kinds of things. And they noticed in their research that, that, that they were profound and, and very deeply embedded in the, the, the neural pathways of individuals' uh, brains who had died with HIV and AIDS. And research went on past that. Um, the, the kind of findings were something along the lines of that, that high um, volumes of sexual experience and at that time before the, the virus was, was rampant in, in some parts of the gay community people were having four or five sexual partners throughout the course of the day and, and, and people would say now looking back that those people were addicted to sex you do know you can be addicted to sex don't you because it, it, it releases some, some stimulus to the brain and so the research went beyond that because they wanted to understand a little bit more about what was happening. And, and they discovered that not only was this the case with, with um, men who had lived very promiscuous lives, but some people were, were infected by the, the disease and they weren't necessarily part of the gay community, but they had been infected from uh, you know, blood transfusions or different things. And in particular groups of people, they noticed that in men, that who had difficulties with online pornography, at that time it wasn't so online, that actually the neural pathways in their brains were actually quite indented. Now, what is a neural pathway? It's a pattern of thought that when it's been so repeatedly experienced, makes compulsion automatic. Okay, so sometimes when I've been helping people, we say, well, can't you just stop it? And they say, no, I don't know how to stop it. Have you ever met people you talk to about that stuff? You know, I always think people who've never had a drug problem are a little bit patronizing to people who are struggling with that because actually if it was as easy as just stopping it, they would have stopped. 
Okay, because it's wrecking everything in their life. But what's happened is repeated experiences have created neural pathways that bypass the normal procedures that people go through of analysis and thought and whatever, and it becomes compulsive. And so in the study they did with men who had, had watched repeatedly pornography, they understood that, that they had to break the neural pathway for the outcome to change. All the self-will in the world, all the desire to be free from stuff, that didn't really work. And so they did something that was, uh, you know, a research project. They put a roadblock between the eye gate, you know what the eye gate is, what a man sees or a woman sees, and the compulsion, which was automatic. So let's say it works like this. You see something, you feel something, you think something, you act something. Okay, simply put, between the seeing something and the feeling something, they put a roadblock. Okay, because they wanted to interrupt the thought process that was automatic. And, and here's what they did, is deeply scientific, doctor, you would know about this. Um, they gave these gentlemen elastic bands. And around about mid-80s time, people who struggled with these things, there was a, a train of thought that if you can create some kind of obstacle to the path of thought, just by pricking it and, and letting it go, then the pathway, the, the, the thought process goes somewhere else and the person doesn't act out. Actually, it, it does work quite well for people. Is it, I don't know what the, the term is, is cognitive therapy behavior or is that just thinking? But this, this was an, an actual thing. Now, the pain began to cause them to associate what they saw with something that was negative. Whereas prior to that, it had caused them to associate what they saw with something that was pleasurable. We are all adults here. This is okay, isn't it? Do you know that you have neural pathways? And they may not end up with the compulsions that I've just described, but they are almost automatic. And they come out of life experience. Do you know some of you think you're going to be rejected before you've even said hello to somebody? <laughs> hello? Some of you think you're going to lose before you've even tried. Oh, there's no point in me getting involved. <laughs> Some of you think everything is going to go wrong before anyone even invites you to do something. You go to a job interview and you believe you're not going to get it. Why would you go if you didn't think you were going to get it? Who needs more rejection in their life? Yes? Some of you think that God can't use you. You've already short-circuited Paget coming into your life because your neural pathways have predetermined the outcomes. You have decided because of your experience that what you feel is far more powerful than what God says. Now some of you will never get into another relationship because you've had three and they were disastrous. I always think if you're the common denominator, think. Think before you start again. But you know, just because it's gone wrong three times doesn't mean that the next time won't be good. And if you're coming with a set of neural pathways that are preempting that problem, you by default will attract that problem. Because what's happening on the inside begins to happen on the outside. So as a man or a woman thinks they are. I'm coming on. I'm coming on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Is that just your plea for me to finish? <laughs> when 
When I first came to the Lord, I had neural pathways, life experiences, memories, things that had happened to me, belief systems that had grown up in me. I wasn't born with them. They were fashioned in me through difficult circumstances. When you've been abused as a child, you have a certain perspective on certain things. The world isn't safe. Sex is dirty. I had so much baggage, I could have filled three carousels in Heathrow Airport. And I'm sitting with a friend of mine, we're at Bible college and we're talking about things and I was identifying myself in terms that were part of who I'd been and where I'd been and he just, he just stopped me one time, a glorious man of God. And he just said, Simon, that's who you were. That isn't who you are. Now, I thought I was useless at everything. I thought I was terrible as a son. I thought I was a, a weak man. I thought, oh, I'd, I could give you a list as long as your arm. And if your arm isn't long, I could give you one as long as his. Because it's got long arms, powerful arms. But you know, I'd never stopped to think that all of my praying and fasting and desiring to go deeper into the purposes of God was attached to the way that my imagination engaged with what was real or wasn't real. There's a missing link between the heart of God to reveal his plan and his dream for your life and your capacity to fulfill it. And we can pray and talk and sing and do all the things we do, but actually the real battleground is here. So as you think you will live, not so as you sing you will live, yes? And the devil has stolen, he has stolen great moments of breakthrough from you because your mind could not work with what God wanted to give to you. There are things in the heart of the Father that you have yet to discover. My dream in desiring to open up this conversation, and maybe we'll come again to it at some other point, there's some other things to say into it, is that we would allow God to re- calibrate our imagination. You know, the Bible says that we should take every thought captive, every vain imagination. Why are they vain? Not because we're self-serving, but they produce nothing for the kingdom of God. Our thinking is restricting our living. It's, it's getting in the way of the dream and the plan and the vision that we just so want God to do in our hearts and lives. And I just want to suggest to us today that maybe we should offer God afresh the opportunity to touch our imaginations and to bring healing and to bring life to them. There is nothing God can do with an imagination that comes into partnership with his plan and his purpose. The thoughts he has are higher than ours. I want my imagination to be available to that. His ways are not my ways. I want my imagination to work with that so that my ways become unusually like his ways. Amen? Amen? The devil wants to take. He wants to destroy. He'll use memories, circumstances, situations, and mindsets, the neural pathways that have been formed by the pain of life. But Jesus came to set captives free. And this is what the Bible says. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed.